Hello, hello. Welcome to the Pete the Planner Show. I'm your host, Pete the Planner. Yeah, I just didn't want to do uh, music this week, so uh, we're not. Hello, everybody. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, host of the Pete the Planner Show. Joining me as most of the time, Damian Dunn, no relation. Hello, Dame. I am back. The national crisis is over. What was the crisis? That you were on vacation? Yeah, that I was on vacation. What you consider having someone do your job slightly better than you a crisis? Oh no, that wasn't. It wasn't slightly better than me. It was definitely better. I am grateful that I was invited back to do the show. I was being nice by saying slightly. Um, Dame, good vacation. Are you recharged? Are you rested? Sure, sure. You know what? I, uh, now that I think about it, I'm probably gonna have to take next Friday off too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You are. I might have to as well. <laughs> Danza, hello, welcome to the show. Okay, Dame, we've got a lot of. A lot of good stuff this week. We got a question from a new business owner, a guy and his uh, partner, life partner, buying a business. Uh, number two, we uh, have a segment about uh, do you need credit to get student loans? That's okay. the question. And then number three, are fast delivery businesses a harbinger of personal finances troubles to come? I just want to say harbinger because I find it to be interesting. And I, I want to mispronounce this so bad. Harbinger. <laughs> um, Damn, you want to just do the show? Are you good with just doing the show? I got a weird Friday. I, I'm not sure what else we would do right now if we just didn't do the show. Well, we could do some patter. Oh, book recommendation time. What? You interested in a book recommendation? Sure. Dave Grohl's book. I said I told this during an all-team meeting this week. Storyteller, I think that's what it's called unbelievable book and i'm not a big dave grohl guy i just don't care unbelievable book i uh anytime there's a video recommendation on youtube that has to do with dave telling a story yeah i immediately click on it because he is exceptionally talented and creative and can tell a story and does it very well it's He's he's a lot of fun to listen to, so I can only imagine his book is fabulous as well. And you know, I'm an audiobook person, and he reads the book, oh, so it's nice. him telling stories. Uh, and I don't want to ruin the book for you, but he, 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 you get—I will give you one element, and it doesn't ruin it. You'll get there anyway. But like, he, he just keeps telling stories where, and Paul McCartney was over at our house. Like, he, he just like it's like this. You realize that he and Paul McCartney are like really good friends, and it's something you maybe hadn't considered before. Between this and the uh, the Beastie Boys book, which are you enjoying more? Oh, that's a great question. That was one of the best audiobook experiences ever. Oh, that's tough. That's hard because that's like my childhood versus uh, just a great storytelling. I love Beastie Boys more, but yeah. you know. You know, I'll tell you, the, an, a good audiobook produced well with the right talent reading it, the right production, it's pretty interesting. Like, I read, uh, I listened to, I gotta quit saying I read, I listened to Seth Rogen's uh, memoir, which I didn't find that interesting, right? It was just a bunch of stoner stories, and I like Seth Rogen. Uh, but the production quality of that book was pretty interesting. They, they did some, made some interesting creative choices there, which I liked, but. Uh, you know, that's the thing about memoirs. It, it only is as good as the taste of the person writing it, you know? True. I read a criticism of Dave Grohl's book uh, yesterday that said, there was nothing special about the first 50 pages of stories, so I abandoned the book. Yeah, they were his childhood. There's nothing special about anyone's childhood. <laughs> it's like he's not telling Paul McCartney stories when he's 11. It's like, what did... Is there anything worse than reviews that make no sense? I mean, I think Anne Frank would disagree with that. That's true. Jeez, that took a turn. All right. So that's true. It's true. Dave Grohl, Anne Frank. It's all right there here all on the, the Planner Show. Yeah. Let's start the show. Do you have your clock ready? Yes. I don't. Okay. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's ask. Pete at PeteThePlanner.com, and we'll answer your question on the air. Damien Dunn, no relation whatsoever, joins me as always. Dame, hello, hello. Hello, Pete. Good to be with you. Back from vacation, looking tanned and rested. I would like to thank Kristen for filling in for me last week, uh, doing a better job than I did, so she and I will have to 
talk about that in her review this year. Preview for next week. Well, Gail, Gold Star Gail is on co-hosting next week, we believe. So uh, Dame's back out. Here's the first question of the week. Dear Pete, my wife and I are going to buy a business soon. and would like to increase our cash on hand for any unknowns that pop up or to have cash set aside in an opportunity fund to take advantage of deals that may present themselves. We could build the fund much quicker if we both stop contributing to our retirement accounts for the next 12 months. We're both in our early 40s and have done a great job saving up to this point. What do you think about pausing retirement contributions in order to put money into the business? All right, Dame, I love questions like this because the conventional wisdom is, no, don't ever do it. But there's an exception to every rule. And so if this person can check the boxes of the proper requirements, maybe they are the exception to the rule. Where, where do you begin to line up on something like this? Um, I think there was some good information that was shared uh, in here as well, that they've done a nice job preparing for retirement up until this point. Uh, so we, we can assume, hopefully, that that's true. And they are uh, on track, at least if not ahead of where they should be at this point. So much like you, Pete, uh, the rule typically is, well, you always got to keep money going into the retirement accounts. But when we're talking about a business, a small business that is probably going to be an asset that is going to be used for them in the future as they retire, whether that's going to provide a stream of income for them in retirement, or they're just going to sell it and walk away and enjoy life on an island somewhere, then, well, they're kind of putting money into retirement at this point as well. Just maybe not in a traditional or maybe more expected way for their future needs. So when I start to look at questions like this, I want to get a much better picture of the whole uh, situation for them, see how they're doing with their retirement, and then also probably reassure them that it can work. It certainly can work. Now, you and I both know that small businesses fail frequently. Uh, so you have to take that in consideration. If you're not preparing for retirement by investing into a retirement plan of some sort and you're throwing it all at the business, if that business goes away and you walk away with nothing, there's some risk there. There is some genuine risk there. So you have to be realistic with yourself. Should you maybe split the difference, save some money into a more traditional uh, savings vehicle and then put some money into the the business as well, or, uh, you know, maybe just take your time building up some cash for the business and figure that out as well. But that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Where are you at, Pete? At its core, a retirement plan is an income generating asset at retirement. So do you have to only use your traditionally structured 401k retirement plan to produce said income? No, of course not. I mean, this isn't terribly different than having rental properties be a diversified income stream or retirement. A business, a, a well-run business, is an asset that can be sold, like you mentioned, or can create perpetual income. So, I mean, on the surface, I don't think I have a problem with this. My concern would be someone's judgment of two things. Number one, we've done a great job as a very relative subjective statement, right? If the person knows what they're talking about and they say they've done a great job, great. If the person has no idea what they're talking about and they say they've done a great job and they don't know what a great job is, not so great. Second thing would be the type of business. Now at the risk of offending, oh, lots of people, some businesses aren't good businesses. Just the the industry, the, the risk associated with starting a new business, uh, just understanding the, the 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 market share one can obtain from that business. But if it happens to be a business that the people are already involved in and maybe there's just an ownership change and they have an opportunity to become that owner, then yeah, I have no problem with that. But Dame, if it's like, hey, we're opening a balloon animal franchise in a strip mall that we bought this franchise from a San Diego-based balloon animal manufacturing company, it's like, well don't stop the retirement plan contributions because you're not going to be able to retire. Yeah, I think we, uh, maybe I didn't do a very good job uh, saying this when, when I was talking earlier, but it, there is a distinct difference between starting a business from scratch and buying an existing business as well. If you are uh, taking over, as you said, an ownership capacity uh, and basically continuing to guide a, an already existing and profitable business, probably less chance of something catastrophic happening rather than 
building something with with your own two hands and sweat and blood and tears uh, from from the ground up. So uh, make sure you're taking that into account as well. But the the one thing I I thought that if you really wanted to contribute to a 401k or a retirement plan, you know, do the match. Make sure you're getting all the free money, and then uh, pour the rest into the the business or that account that you've got set aside for whatever future needs you may need in the business. I know that you and I like to answer questions based on nuance. Um, The person's in their 40s. They're not in their 20s, which to me, taking a year off in your 20s is worse than taking a year off in your 40s. But you could argue either side of that, actually. But what what is one year of contributions when they've already saved, you know, well, Mm -hmm. and then they can pick right back up, which then gets to the point of, you know, the road to the spooky place is paved with good intentions. If, if they say, well, we're going to take a break for 12 months, how often when someone says, Hey, we're going to stop saving for 12 months, do they actually stop saving for 12 months? I, I got to anecdotally think that gets stretched to 18 to 24 months in most cases. Yeah. And the, the other thing I like about this situation, this potential situation is, uh, the individual's not stopping the saving and going to start putting it into their lifestyle. It's going to be going towards something else. So if, if the business doesn't work out, that money's not already accounted for, for a, a lifestyle expense at that point. They could very easily transition that back into a more traditional way of saving for retirement. So uh, I think they've they've got some opportunities here. If they, if they want to build up the cash in the business, uh, maybe have some money on hand to buy another business in the future as well, then I think they could probably pull this off. Yeah, I think too, you know, our friend CJ McClanahan, uh, cjmcclanahan.com, uh, he, he often says, you know, you've got to build every business to sell, right? Like with the idea that you make decisions within the business to sell it. Uh, I don't know if it's that different when you actually consider selling the business as you buy it, right? It's like, hey, we're making this decision to purchase this business with a sale of the business in the end. And and I think that potentially could help you make better decisions. Um, Yes, the business will become your income. You want to grow the business, but at some point you want to have that capital appreciation translate into a gain of a sale at the end. So that would be the point there. So I would say, generally speaking, taking a year off of your retirement plan contributions, uh, that money better be going somewhere interesting. Um, well, Dane, let's, let's switch this in a completely different direction with the minute we have left. What if this said, I'm just tired and we'd like to travel the world with the $36,000 that we typically would put into a retirement account? Are you immediately dismissive of experience over building an asset? How do you feel about working a year longer, Pete, so you can uh, make sure you make up that contribution on the other side? Yeah, because the business, at least, I mean, you could argue that you will find the value later on. But but and I, then you get into the the value of experience and mental yeah. health. Sure. Are we just telling everyone to take a year off their 401k contributions? Is that what this segment's turned into? No, we would never do that. No, I would absolutely never do that. All right, Dame, coming up after the break, a question I've never heard anyone ask, but it's interesting. It's, do you need credit to get student loans? Do I make my team's credit go up so they can get better student loan rates? All that is next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. I started to feel like I was going soft there. I was like, yeah, go ahead, take a loan. What's the matter? (laughs) Who cares? Weirdest thing you saw on vacation, Dame. Go. <laughs> um, I didn't see it, but it was relayed to me. Uh, there was a, a gentleman that sat behind me a couple rows on a f- one of the flights. Mm. Oof. Oh, travel stories with Dame? Uh, it's a very bad travel story. No. For poor. Uh, no. Gentleman uh, had a robust beard, lots of arm tattoos, uh, okay. dark hat, uh, yes. dark glasses, and was apparently... Uh, typing very, very angrily into the device that he had on his lap. And uh, the people around him all noticed. The stewardesses, or the flight attendants all noticed. Stewardesses, what year yeah, is this? Uh, 1952. Hey, Dame, get over yeah. here. I'm sorry. And uh, nobody did a thing about it. 
I, I don't know. I, Wait, I, that's the story? Yeah, I, it, it was it was weird because he was making everybody very uncomfortable. Like you see all these viral videos of people exploding on airlines. And I think everybody was so nervous that that was going to turn into one of those situations that they just let him be. Dame, I'm not here to evaluate the quality of your stories. No, that was not a good one. But, but was, I will uh, note that that was not a great story. No, it wasn't. Absolutely <laughs> it went, wasn't. It went nowhere. And no, it didn't. I mean, I can I can adjust it and tell you that the guy was arrested and drug off the plane uh, no, by I a don't federal want to embellish. Do you, I, now, I don't want to put you in your place with a with a matching story, but I, I also have a story to, to share. Should I share it after the next segment? Sure. It's 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 not a travel story, but it is taking me to a strange place, if you will. All right, ready to go in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, do you ever wonder how in the world 18-year-old kids, adults, <laughs> that was condescending, <laughs> uh, are given tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars with no job, no income or assets uh, to pursue an education with just no assurance that they're going to be able to repay those loans. You ever, you ever think about how ridiculous that is that a, that a grown person with 25 years and in the business world or in whatever world can't get approved for a place to live or a new business loan, but some kid who is influenced by influencers can get money and hand over fist. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of life's greatest mysteries. Kind of is. I mean, that's the point of uh, government subsidized loan programs, right? Is to make money readily available. We got an interesting question from uh, signed an anxious parent mm. or could be pronounced an anxious parent. <laughs> My question is about credit scores as our kids enter their teenage years. College is in our mind. We have been saving aggressively in the last few years and are on track to have about half of the total cost of attendance for an in-state public university for each kid. That's solid. Congrats. We think it as much as we'll be able to contribute and expect them to finance the rest through work, grants, and loans. Given that loans will be an element, does it make sense to think about their credit scores so they get good rates? Is there a good way to help our teens jumpstart their scores before college. We want to avoid having to co-sign a loan. Thank you. An anxious parent. Dame, I've never been asked this question in doing this for a long. Have you ever been asked this question? You get asked questions a lot. I haven't. It's a pretty simple answer. Um, your kid doesn't have a credit score, nor does it matter as they go to apply for student loans because it's a, it's a federal loan with a fixed rate. The only way credit scores are involved would be your credit scores, the parent, if they max out at the number of student loans they can take on, and then the parent plus loan gets involved. Now, uh, Dame, my understanding, and, and I kind of wish Kristen was here all over again, um, there can be a variable rate on those parent loans based on the parent's credit. Is that your understanding or am I misunderstanding this and you want to like text Kristen immediately? I believe that's right, but I'm sure uh, she's probably listening and will send us a message if we are grossly wrong. Because I had a friend who didn't have the best financial background, and he told me once like what his interest rate was on the loan he was borrowing for a kid's college. And it, was, it was wild. And I was like, wow, that's a terrible interest rate. Uh, so uh, short answer is your kid's that's the crazy part. It's a ninja loan. No income, no job or assets. N-I-N-J-A. No income, no job or assets. Meaning the credit doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a free, <laughs> credit-free loan in the sense that it just simply doesn't matter. However, paying back that loan is what will establish that young adult's credit line going Dame, do you think it'd be helpful if there was some sort of credit scoring system for teens? No. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I, I can, can you imagine the games oh, man. That, that teens would try and play to get their credit scores ramped up? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the first credit line I ever had do you remember the first credit line you ever had? Sure do. 
Bally's Total Fitness. Really? When I was 18, my business law teacher at Pike High School, uh, Drush, as we call him, uh, he told us how <laughs> we could go, uh, actually, when we're 17, and sign up for this uh, fitness membership and then use it, pay for it. But if, if we ever didn't want to use it again, we could just get out of the contract. Uh, and it, when they went to try to charge us, we'd be like, hey, we were minors. You can't have a minor sign a contract. So this is what was being taught at, at Pike High School in the mid-90s. Um, and so I did that, but then I ended up paying off the membership or whatever. But that my first credit line was some stupid 17-year-old thing which was a bad decision. And that's why you can't have credit scores for teens. I had uh, friends that did something similar with, do you remember Columbia house? Records? Oh yeah. I knew that was coming. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, you get your 12 free CDs for a penny and then not ever do anything else. There's, Hey, you can't charge me cause I'm 16 when I'm doing this. So whatever. Thanks for the free CDs. What was your first, uh, do you, did you ever have a store credit card? Do you remember what your first, ours was pier one imports. You, you mean as a as a first card or just a store card in general? Store card. So Mrs. Planner and I got married very, uh, very early. We got married a month after we graduated mm-hmm. college. And it's like that summer, we're trying to furnish this condo we bought. I guess my first credit line was a mortgage then in that regard. Uh, and we went to Pier 1 Imports to buy a bunch of rattan furniture and potpourri, apparently. And so every time I look at my credit report now on my annual check at annualcreditreport.com, I see that we had that credit report at Pier 1 Imports uh, in the summer of 2000 that we promptly closed. I think our first store card, and maybe only store card, honestly, uh, was Kohl's. Really? Yeah. I think that... I See, now I'm curious. I'm, I may have to go back and check that out. I think Kohl's is our only one, though. I, I think the bigger point here is that when you're in your late teens or early 20s, no offense, people in their late teens, or early 20s, you just don't have the wisdom to make really wise consumer decisions. And yeah, I am painting that with a very broad stroke. But you know what? It's true. Damien and I tend to know a lot about money. We have a pretty good head on our sh- collective shoulders. Uh, we did dumb things in our early 20s and late teens so that is why there's no credit scoring system and and plus i have to also admit uh that's it it levels the playing field too if you've got someone from a family of not many means uh, they can still qualify for student aid uh with the same interest rates as opposed to a family that maybe uh can nurture someone's credit score along uh and so it does level the playing field which i think is a really good thing I do have an update on the Parent PLUS loan credit uh, score question. Okay, breaking news. Peter Dunn is about to be proven wrong on the radio. Via via team member Lisa. Oh, boy. The question is, can I still receive Parent PLUS loan if I have an adverse credit history? Answer, a credit check will be performed during the application process. If you have an adverse credit history, you may still receive Parent PLUS loans through one of these two options. One, obtaining an endorser who does not have an adverse credit history or documenting to sat- the satisfaction of the U.S. Department of Education that there are extenuating circumstances relating to your adverse credit history. But do you have a higher interest rate is the question. So wait, so so far I'm not wrong. Well... No, so we can, far you are not wrong. So far, I'm not wrong, which is good. I mean, it's it's nice to be a financial expert and not be wrong from time to time. Dame, there was an article in the where did I? I sent it to everyone this week. It was one of the I think it was maybe even the New York Times or uh, anyway, it was about uh, how getting a new cell phone will ruin your retirement account. Uh, like always getting the hottest, latest cell phone. And it was like, it was like an extension of the old trope. Don't buy Starbucks or avocado toast. Here's the thing. Really financially stable middle-aged people love to tell young people not to buy things. Right. And and you could argue that's what we do, but I would argue that is not what we do. Uh, I, I find it incredibly insincere to constantly pump out articles telling people not to buy coffee or cell phones or video games or avocado toast um, because I think generally speaking, the media doesn't understand the financial realities of people in that situation. 
Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. <laughs> friend of the show, Jordan, just notes, uh, extenuating circumstance is bureaucratic speak for nope. That's <laughs> 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 so true. Oh, Dame, it's break time. We'll be back right after this. Oh, my gosh. I almost missed a break for the first time in a long time. I was trying to uh, set you up so you could just have a nice little run into the break and... You got all enamored with Jordan's comment, which is a great comment. Uh, same interest rate, by the way. Wow. So I was wrong? Yes. Okay. Um, you, ready? you want my story? It's, it, it's uncomfortable. Those are the best. Okay, everybody, gather around. So this past week... Uh, I did the commercial shoot, the television commercial shoot for College Choice 529, which is the Indiana 529 college savings plan, right? So I, I do the shoots. I, I do radio commercials and, and once a year uh, for the last several years, five years, six years, I don't know. I, I do uh, an in-studio camera shoot, two prompter, read my lines, Pete the Planner here, it's college, like that, right? So that's what I do. Um, <laughs> Danza notes on Facebook Live. Does Pete have comfortable stories? I think not. That's true. And so I, I love working with the, these this group. Um, that it's a it's a it's a agency out of Evansville that produces them, and of course, there's the Indiana Education Savings Authority, and and we have a good relationship. I go there, I just do my job. I think I believe in the plan. That's why I do it. And so I'm talking to my friend who runs the advertising agency, and, and, he, and he says, you know, because of the changing nature of what 529s can be used for, we're really exploring a lot of different things. I, I can't get too deep into this part of it, but basically you can use a 529 for an apprenticeship or high school mm -hmm. or, or all sorts of things. So to call it a college savings account at some point in time is misrepresentative of what it can be really used for. So they're explain, exploring some different things. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say any of this. God, now this is really, really bad. It's I don't anyway. A, doesn't matter. Just a, it makes just sense. A just a podcast. No one listens to this. And so he's like, well, also, it's worth noting that we decided to go ahead and do some research on on you uh, of like, you know, do people know who you are? Do they like you? <laughs> and do they trust you? And I was like, oh, man. So here's the thing, everybody. I get it. I get it. I I don't want to know. I don't want to know if people like me or trust me. Uh, I I get why I should know, but like I didn't ask for that. And Did I know there's value in that. That costs a lot of money to do those surveys. So if the results come back and they're good, then we can certainly capitalize on them. But if they're bad, it's like, hey, man. I don't want to know. Like, I don't need, like, I'm currently off of social media because I don't like just the general judgment of everything. So my awkward story to Dame is there is currently, as we sit here today right now, a study going on as to whether I'm trustworthy and likable. And that makes me uncomfortable. They didn't have the numbers. They, they said they were going to do some research. Ah. Is that right? They're doing the research. The numbers will come in mid-November. And, and I think maybe we can have them presented live on the so, show. Oh, Do you want to do that? Yes. Okay. Have them sent to me. Have them sent to me. Or Oz, and then have Oz send them to me. No, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. I, 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 Vito, we're going to have the head of this agency on the show. And he's going to give us the results live on the show. That way, if I'm fired... <laughs> Everyone can be part of it. Uh, so I have to say this, and this is true, and I told him this, and I get this. When you have a gig like an endorsement deal or a radio show or a newspaper column, a television, whatever, they end. They, they end. They will always end. And it always like is this public ending and so people always know that it went away from you. So I've been comfortable with the idea that things go away for a long time. You know, when the Indie Star stopped running my column because they, f they fired a bunch of reporters and, and ended a bunch of freelance gigs, uh, I, I didn't take it personally. Now, I thought it was incredibly unprofessional how they handled it, but I don't really want to tell that story on the air. Uh, but I wasn't upset they ended my column. 
I will feel the same way when USA Today ends my column. I will feel the same way when IBJ ends my column. I will feel the same way when Network Indiana says, we no longer want to run your radio show on all of these stations. I will feel the same way because that is part of it. But there is something about a survey that's asking if people like me that somehow feels worse. I, I'm really curious as to who the demo is that they're at all 92 counties of Indiana, they're asking people in all 92 counties. I don't know the, the, the economic or the age demo, but I do know they're asking all around. Do you know how many, like what, what the sample number is going to be? I, you know, inevitably they're going to call someone from Marion County and it's going to be like a girl I dated in high school, but you <laughs> do not trust him. <laughs> it's going to be one of those. Uh, so anyway, uh, mid November on this show, my man Randy's going to be on the show and he's going to tell me if I'm fired or not. I might be in trouble just for talking about this past segment. We may have to delete this. This may never make the podcast. Oh, but it'll live, live on the internet forever. All right, let's start the segment. I just threw the pen. I'm so upset. Oh, oh boy. You know what? If I can take it to a different area here real quick, and I'm going to try to keep it together. I just want to share what's on my mind. So uh, uh, transitioning off of that very awkward story, my, my, my grandma passed away this week. Uh, grandma Dunn, uh, matriarch of the Dunn family in Speedway, Indiana, uh, passed away on Wednesday night, uh, just under 90 years old. Uh, I tell stories about her and my grandpa all the time when I'm on stage or, or here on the show or, or I've written about them in the past. So it's been a really, it's a tough week. And um, what I find the most remarkable about my grandma, it always comes back to in the late 60s, my grandpa suffered from a lot of mental health challenges. At the time, they didn't know what PTSD was, but he fought in World War II and was stranded on a beach in Iwo Jima overnight with, uh, I might get choked over talking about this, with a soldier friend of his. And it just it messes with you, right? And so he got home and uh, went back to work at GM. Just couldn't keep it together, right? So my grandma raised everybody. Right. She raised everybody, uh, including him during those tough times. So that's what I think about. I don't know why I brought this up because I knew this would happen. <laughs> What's wrong well, with me? And now you've got a, a Pringles can that you oh. always have for uh, for memories. Uh, the sweet memory, because uh, you know what? When I, when I went to my grandpa Dunn's house, he yeah. had just a giant pile of coins inside of a cabinet. And I always knew that if I opened the door, there would be a more metal there than I thought I would ever see in one place in my life. So <laughs> something about done men uh, yeah. saving money. So what, what, what is remarkable of course about um, my grandpa's coins um, there's this note from my grandma when my grandpa passed away and it says for Peter. So now I've got the uh, bank for my grandpa and I've got the note from my grandma and I never really realized until this moment that I got the note from grandma. So do you, uh, do, do you know how many cups of coffee you could have bought with that if you'd invested it? <laughs> Susie Orman's just shaking her head at me right yeah. now. Yeah. Could have bought a jacket. Thanks for all the kind words in the chat, everybody. You know, I, I, I am uh, just like my grandfather and my father. I, I have a quick tear trigger when I talk about family. Like, I just like, I, I, I will... The joke at like holiday times around the Dunn family when my grandpa would say a prayer is he, he's like, how many words can we get into this before he's a sobbing mess, right? <laughs> <laughs> the worst part is like he's praying, he's praying, thanking God for like this family and, uh, and everyone just laughing at him because he's crying so much it became this horrible joke. But it was like all the grandkid jerks like me that were like, grandpa's crying. And it's like he's crying because he likes you. But then if he realized, he probably doesn't, right? Because <laughs> we all turned out like me. You uh, you need to make sure you send that clip off uh, to the research agency. That'll probably boost your score a few points with people liking you. Oh, man. What's going to happen? With, are, are people going to... I don't know. It's going to be amazing, though. It's not going to help my imposter syndrome. That, that, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, not, not one bit. Um. I don't trust people that don't suffer from imposter syndrome, frankly. Do you, <laughs> which, which reminds me, Dame, do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Every day. Okay, good. Yeah. Dan's has a Wait, story good? here. Good? 
Well, I mean, good. I mean, because that means I trust you. Danza notes, when my dad died, he had a ton of coins in his pockets. Mm -hmm. A friend brought a roll of quarters for his pocket uh, in his casket. Later, I counted up in uh, his change and had exactly $10 in quarters uh, doing it with his other coins, That along with his other coins. It's amazing. I love stories like that. I really do. All right. How do we move on from this? Okay. Sorry, everybody. Life is life. What are we talking about next? Uh, you, know, you put it down there. It was. Uh, I got distracted by my own emotions. Please hold. I'll tell you what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> Podcast listeners are like, we don't care. We don't want emotions. We're just trying to get to work. Fast delivery. Oh, yeah. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. <clears throat> Dame, I read an article in the New York Times this week that the one of the hottest moving sectors in the world in terms of uh, hot industries, fast delivery. There's companies popping up all over the place that allow you to get anything delivered to you in 5, 10, 15 minutes. This all started out, of course, like DoorDash or Uber Eats, but now it's transitioned into what seem like Amazon-style warehouses, not run by Amazon, that don't have a retail storefront, but they're called ghost stores where you order online and then someone rides their bicycle to you with that item and you have it like in 10 minutes. And it's called fast delivery. It is a thing in Manhattan and the other boroughs. And the question becomes, based on how other cities are spread out, is it possible in a place like central Indiana, are we going to get these ghost stores where if I need Q-tips, Q-tips are to me like that. Uh, So what do you think, Dame? Do you think the hotness will be being able to order anything and having it within 10 minutes uh, other than getting in your car and driving to go get it? I think it's going to be really tough in most of the United States to be able to pull that off, at least to have it done in a cost-effective way. I Because when I read that article that you had shared with me on this very thing, I kept waiting for the hammer to drop, the the cost of the service. And there was one point, did you read all the way through, Pete, where it, it shared what um, GoPuff charges? Yeah. yeah. They make money by advertising as well, uh, along with their deliveries, but it's a $1.95 in order. That's it. That's all it would cost you if you placed an order with them to get your stuff within 30 minutes or less, $1.95. So I'm not a big environmentalist. I'm just not. Um, I I feel like now I have to say things that make me seem like I care. We recycle. Like I I don't waste. Like I I don't unnecessarily um, punitively waste things. However, one of the first things that came to mind here was what is going to be the environmental impact of people getting exactly what they need in 10 minutes to this volume, especially when you consider how cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, has such a horrific environmental impact, yet it's the hotness for a lot of people. How do you get your head around that? Well, I mean, if stuff's being delivered on bicycles, I mean, it's going to prevent somebody from getting in a car potentially and driving somewhere. But if we're talking major metropolitan areas, there probably aren't going to be a lot of car trips anyway for that. So are you going with the... Um, Expansion the, beyond New York. The So... I mean, then also, it's not like there's enough stores that they can get anywhere in New York on a bicycle right. in 10 or 20 minutes. Like, there has to be a motorized vehicle of some sort. A scooter, a little Vespa. Oh, boy, that's annoying. Um, I, I think the other element to this, too, though, there there is something smart here minus the delivery element, and it's the ghost store concept. I think one of the smartest things to to have come around in the last few years is this concept of a ghost kitchen. Ghost kitchen is a restaurant you can't go to that it all it does is make food for deliveries. Um, and I think that is one of the smartest things ever cluster truck is a a locally based company that does this their food's good right it's not for me to say whether oh the food's amazing it's fine it's delicious 
But the bigger issue is that they don't have a ton of overhead to compete with other restaurants that are delivering. And since they have their own delivery technology and mechanism, they don't have to share fees so they can build their profitability right into the food pricing. And it makes so much sense. And so, Dame, I think when I read this story about all these fast delivery options in New York, I really took away uh, people are trying to compete with Amazon, which essentially is a giant ghost store. Uh, and they're trying to do it on a more micro level. And that's what I think is interesting. I just don't know how this translates to my, my corner of the state, Northeast Indiana. I mean, we don't have shoes. Yeah, shoes. Uh, but, Shirts. you know, like um, Uber. Yeah, we, we don't have Uber in my county. Uh, arguably, we should, but we don't. Um, we have some uh, DoorDash, but it, not nearly to the extent that, that you would see in even uh, moderate-sized cities in Indiana. I, it, so I just, I don't know, I don't know how this plays out. I think people are perfectly happy driving to the store and having their groceries pushed out to their car uh, and and done that way. Um, I just don't see how the logistics work for fast delivery stuff in, in rural parts of the country. So this is not a well thought out thought, uh, which I'm about to express here, which is what we call the Pete the Planner show. Normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just how we do the show. But if you think about how commerce began, uh, where people were manufacturing the things they needed, and then it, from a specialization standpoint, it made sense that you know some pioneer guy's not making his own stuff. It, it just be trade and commerce became a thing, and it, and it sort of escalated this idea of convenience and specialization. It just kept growing and growing and growing. Are we really getting to the point that it is necessary that you have something in? 10 minutes that you order off of the internet that you otherwise could have gone and, and, and purchased yourself. And of course people will say, well, what if you're, you, you know, you're not mobile and you can't get around. This industry will not succeed because it only serves people who can't get around. This will succeed because people are unwilling to get in their car and drive to the CVS on the corner and then come back. And, and that's where it's like, are we getting so lazy that our entire economy is going to succeed based on our laziness? I know I'm oversimplifying it, but man, it certainly feels that way. I mean, I could see how this would be a godsend for you know, stay-at-home parents who, you know, you, you've got a sick kid and you're trying to take care of two others and you just really don't have time to go to the store to pick up whatever you need. Uh, you know, maybe you just used your last diaper and you, you know, what are you going to do? You can't pack everybody up and, and go because, you know, maybe you just can't leave the house for whatever reason. If you could have another package of diapers on your doorstep in 15 minutes, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all in for that, but there's so many, you know, it, this whole concept makes me think about impulse control and yeah, totally. can people, um, is this going to exacerbate existing issues? I mean, Whoa. this would be, this would, I know I, I, that's a big word. Yeah. Uh, I, I was surprised too. Uh, <laughs> if I had a pantry filled with really unhealthy food that I could get anytime I wanted, I'd probably eat it. But if I also had the ability to have whatever I wanted dro dropped to my doorstep in 15 to 30 minutes, I could see how I'd make some purchases that I would later regret. I also feel like this is really stoking the fires of everyone being a shut-in. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe I'm jaded because I'm currently in our headquarters here in, a, in an office building, of which most of our, our colleagues are still working remotely for, for safety reasons, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for that because I'm a proponent of their safety. But it, it does feel like we're just getting further and further to this point where people don't want to leave their homes. Uh, people are redoing their homes. People are um, creating different spaces in their homes so they don't have to leave their homes. And I, I do, again, realize that's out of a, a sense of practicality during a global pandemic. But it, it now starts to feel like it's going to extend beyond that where we are all just it, it's like, is it from there's a. Uh, it's like a Pixar movie that depicts um, 
Oh, I can't think of it. It's, it's basically people not leaving their homes, never getting out of a chair because everything is brought to them. Now, can you? Oh, I can't think of it, which is not helpful when you're live broadcasting a radio show. Well, if you think about what people's lives are, you know, they they get in their car in their garage, they drive to work, uh, they have a very small uh, group of interactions probably there, then they drive home, drive into the garage, close the door, and they don't leave. Uh, they We are very... Uh, capable of spending time on our own little castles and when that garage door goes down it's like pulling the bridge up on the moat and we just don't interact with anybody in our communities and build those relationships that uh, i think a lot of people really wish still existed well it's time to pull the bridge up on this moat to hear from some advertisers coming up after the break biggest waste of money of the week right here on the pete the planner show i'm pete the planner <laughs> that's a you Everyone says it was Wally. I thought it was Wally. See, but Jordan makes my point here. Look at this. I just spent $15 on an indoor watering can being delivered by Amazon in 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, I mean what are you going to use to water your indoor plants? So here, you know, again, I'm not, mis- I'm not cutting on Jordan at all. I, I'm not Mr. Environmentalist at all. But think about if, if people get daily Amazon shipments, which trust me, some of my neighbors uh, look like their kids are building forts out of cardboard on their porch every single day. Doesn't that put a strain on the global supply chain? No? I think it's just, I mean, you're cutting a link out, really. I mean, all that stuff would be going somewhere else, most likely, and then we would be driving to it. So we're just... But let's say I'm going to Target and I'm filling up a cart full of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's the stuff that over the course of a week I might need. But if you're in this on-demand sort of purchase mindset, then then you just order what you need. But it, that process of constantly having things delivered and supplied, it just seems environmentally abhorrent. Yeah, I mean, you're moving the entire economy to a just-in-time system and... You know, there are only so many efficiencies that can be made before you start uh, spending more energy getting the stuff that we want to the end user than if you have a centralized location to pick it up, I would guess. That's why I got a 3D printer. I make everything. What you do is you buy a 3D printer, then you make a 3D printer out of the 3D printer. (gasps) What? And then you basically have Inception. Beyond that, you just keep making, and then you sell those 3D printers, and you're a millionaire. I just... uh, um, uh, had a mortal sin that I always refused to do, but I just did it on there. Committed a moral sin. I got I we, I just received an email with a a really ambiguous subject line that the email was going to be really good or it was going to be really bad, <laughs> but it was one or the other. Like I knew I can't give any more details, but I knew whatever I was about to read was going to be great or it's going to be horrible, and I clicked on it. And had it been horrible, it would have ruined the rest of the show. Okay? It was good, fortunately, but it would have ruined the show. And you can't do that. You cannot click on an ambiguously uh, subject-lined email during a broadcast. Bad idea. Can't wait for you to not tell me what that was all about. I'll tell you what it is later. Uh, Matt notes, uh, my neighbor drives a Tesla with a license plate that says no gas, and they get deliveries four to six times a week. Half garage is full of empty boxes. They work from home and have for years. Yeah. Thanks for saving all that gas, Matt's neighbor. I almost called the person a gas hole, but that seemed inappropriate. Probably. (laughs) It's a weird week, man. <sighs> okay. Oh, biggest waste of money. Of the week. I have a good one this week. Good. We're all excited. Here we go. A weird show. Still tears in my eyes. Kind of crusting over. I was telling Dane before the show that like this is eye moisture season for me. There's something about the weather change and the allergens that are in the air that like every time of year, this year, this time of year, every year, my eyes just constantly water. And so I walk around with just discharging eyes. <laughs> okay. Uh, in three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is... That's Pete the Planner. <laughs> Herodin Paranormal Reserve Vodka. October is spooky season. 
a time for scary movies, costumes, and vodka. Haradan Paranormal Reserve is a limited run of 60 bottles distilled from organic corn and clocking in at 44% ABV. The stats aren't what make it special, however. Each bottle has been aged for seven days inside of one of America's most haunted houses, the Conjuring House, the Villisca Axe Murder House, (laughs) that's quaint, and the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum are all represent. That seems insensitive if I'm being honest. There's a place (laughs) called the Lunatic Asylum. It's not still in business, Pete. I just still seems not very PC. Each with its own history that's nearly as disturbing as the thought of drinking the spirit straight. Every bottle is hand-numbered and arrives in a wooden case with an authenticity document, a history of the house where it was aged, a leather neck tag, and cloth gloves for handling. (laughs) How much do you think it is? 1200 bucks. No, 140. <laughs> it's, 140. It's... Okay, so I'm not a big ghost guy, but there was that old motel or hotel off of 65 just north of Lafayette. Do you remember that was like abandoned? They've recently torn it down in the last year and a half, but it definitely was the spookiest thing. And you could not pay me enough money to stay there overnight because it looked haunted. Uh, Dane, would you have any concerns about drinking paranormal vodka? Other than the fact that I spent way too much money on it, no. So you would not, like, if if we had a bottle of, of this vodka, and I was like, hey, let's do vodka shots, you wouldn't think I'm about to ghost myself or something. No, I would question your judgment for doing vodka shots, but no, I would have zero concern with that. Okay, I'm not a vodka guy at all. I just don't care about it. Um, I don't know. I, I have to admit, I, I don't know. I feel a little weird about drinking ghost vodka. I don't know. Just because it spent the night for a little while? I don't a, believe a in ghosts, but I also... Yeah. What you, what's your problem? I, it's a little scary, a little spooky. Do you like scary movies? What if this was released in April? Would you feel the same way, or is it just the, the whole season? It is spooky season. No, I would feel the same way. It would freak me out. Okay. I, I mean, I think they're missing an opportunity to... You know, they said a wooden box. It should be a casket. I was thinking the same thing. I don't know how they're maybe maybe it is maybe they but you would think they would put that in the release Dame what's in the news this week well let's continue this theme somewhat (laughs) an exceptionally rare bottle of champagne is headed to auction Ooh, Christie's London will auction a collection of vintage champagne from and this is the string where I'm going to make a lot of people very upset by my pronunciation oh boy Uh, Perrier Jouet on December second and third, uh, among the is, is it QVs C U V E E S? Is that a, a, a wine or a something? I what don't was know. it? Q what? C U V E E S. QV. QV. Whatever. QVs. Uh, stands at eighteen seventy eighteen seventy four vintage Perrier Jouet Brut. Uh, whatever uh, <laughs> that is expected to fetch up to twenty thousand dollars. The bottle has slept for a hundred and forty seven years in the cellars of Pierre Jouet and, and France's famed whatever region that comes with a tour tasting and a meal prepared by a three-star Michelin chef oh. and an overnight stay in a 19th century uh, Maison Belle Epoque in uh, the Champagne house uh, that was responsible for the brand. The vintage last came under the gavel at Christie's in 1888. Oh. And it smashed records and became the most expensive champagne ever sold until 1967. Do you like champagne? No, not really. <laughs> I love champagne. Oh, good do? champagne. I love it. So this good has, champagne. This I hate has bad champagne. all the makings of a letdown to me. Well, the show? Well, well uh, among other things. But, I mean, this... <laughs> what would your expectations be for sampling a 147-year-old champagne, Pete? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, uh, my mind goes to like, how much money would you have to have to justify buying that experience? Let's just say it was a gift. Okay. Oh, oh man, that'd be great. I, I, I would. Uh, I would not be disappointed no matter what it tastes like. Really? If it was, yeah, I wouldn't care because it's it's the whole idea. Here's where I think about like really old wine, and we really jumped the shark of pretentiousness this week. Um, I just wait. 
<laughs> I like this idea that what when was it bottled? Eighteen what? Uh, Eighteen seventy four. This was set away by someone in eighteen seventy four, and I like to think about like what was going on in that person's life in eighteen seventy four, and our connection in the year twenty twenty one when someone gifts this to me it is like that passage of time. This idea that two people are connected by that that. That is charming to me and I think, pretentious. I agree. I, I think that is a, a, an amazing thing to contemplate uh, when when you would be lifting the glass. But it's got to taste good to enjoy it, though. I mean, you could read a book from 1874 and have that connection. Mm, that's true. I mean, it's carbonated fermented grape juice. It could taste horrible. What else is in the news this week? All right. Let's see. I won that argument. Uh, imagine it's October of 2020 and you've got a cool $35,000 kicking around that you want to invest. Well, the conservative choice would be what we say usually. Put it in a low-fee ETF and let it ride. However, yeah. one year later, your reward for being such a disciplined investor in a booming market probably would have been about ten grand added to your net worth. Would have been pragmatic, but what's the fun in that? Meanwhile... Had you managed to get your hands on a highly coveted Rolex Daytona, the initial $35,000 would be worth nearly $48,000. $3,000 better than investing in the market. Rolex is so hot right now, says Paul Altieri, the CEO of world-renowned Bob's Watches, <laughs> which is the largest reseller of pre-owned Rolexes. Where'd you get your watch? Bob's, Bob's. Watches. Oh, sounds classy. Uh Here's the thing, Pete. <laughs> Rolex, uh, for those of you playing along uh, on the live stream, uh, guess how many watches Rolex makes a year? I'm, I'm going to try and find something else to talk about for about 30 seconds. We'll get back to that. Yeah, uh, because when you told me this earlier in our show pre-production meeting, I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah, uh, shocked. So the, uh, the luxury pre-owned watch market uh, is currently worth about $20 billion dollars in the world right now and it's set to be the industry's fastest growing retail segment topping 29 billion by 2025 so we had one guess in the live chat it was rick swank hello rick thanks for playing along uh 2432 watches is what he believes rolex makes a year and you know his guess is interesting because it speaks to exclusivity mm -hmm. uh what do you think just off just off Rolex makes 800,000 watches a year. And, and the average price is $11,000 per watch. Who is buying 800,000? Oh, and they said they can't keep up with demand. Yep. Who is buying 800,000 Rolex? I mean, no one is buying all of them. But, right. but who are all these people that are spending, on average, $11,000 on a Rolex? On a new one. And if they can't get their hands, they'll go spend three times that amount for Daytona's. On the used market. That's I, insane. I am a very obnoxious person. I have had very obnoxious habits over the years and, and hobbies. I was a watch guy at one point in time. I never uh, aspired to own a Rolex. And I'm really glad I kicked my watch guy habit because it just seemed very ridiculous. But the idea that 800,000 people a year buy a Rolex and there's not enough of them to go around is just honestly mind-numbing. I, that was the biggest surprise of that entire article. One last story, sir. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Oh, uh, child tax credit, the enhanced child tax credit. Uh, they've been trying to work this into the deal. Uh, one of the bills that's been going on in Congress looks like it might get cut down to one year instead of five years. So the child the enhanced child tax credit might not be around with us too much longer. Well, there you go. And that means our guess would be wrong. So... Yeah. Thanks for being here this week. What an adventure, especially in the podcast. If you want to listen to that, go to uh, find wherever you get your podcast and search The Pete the Planner Show and you'll find it. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner and this is The Pete the Planner Show. I almost hit stop broadcast. Oh. I said that. <laughs> uh, what an adventure. So, Dame, as soon as we get off the air here, I'll tell you about the email. Um, that's it, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Mid-November, maybe we'll have the person on from the ad agency to see how unlikable I am. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. And, and you got to hear stories of Grandma Dunn. So I'm going to have a BLT. Her house always smelled like bacon. Like you'd go over there. She'd be like, and she was from Florida, but she had like a Southern Belle Florida thing to her. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, oh, sweetie, can I get you a, can I get you a BLT? Like you could short order cook a, or order a BLT at any time at Grandma Dunn's house. And then she, of course, made sweet tea uh, that, all the time. That was your Southern Belle accent? Hey, look, I, there's a lot going on. I'm, I don't have time to do voice stuff. Okay. Uh, all right, everybody. Dame, stick around, everyone else. As always, stay getting money. <laughs>